This week on the Wikipedia podcast, we're going to be looking further at the woke reaction to the Dobbs decision, the decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. And we're going to be looking at where the winsome and nuanced approach, the third way approach of the woke will lead you and the knots that'll get you tied up into. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Wikipedia Podcast. I am Kyle, and we're going to be looking at an article in the Gospel Coalition titled, Three Ways to Sympathize with Women Considering an Abortion. Now, this might seem like some sort of article written months ago, years ago, or any time ago. Kind of a weird title for the current moment when abortion is under threat, is being uh, uh, slowly eroded away, or at least we have great momentum. Momentum like we haven't seen for, well, since Roe v. Wade was decided. And this is good. Again, we talked about this last episode on our special midweek episode, but the Dobbs decision does not overthrow abortion, doesn't end abortion, and in fact, it really doesn't advance the ball that far down the field. There is still so much left to do, the majority of the work. In fact, again, this really only gives some momentum because it doesn't do what needs to be done, which is equal protection for the unborn. The unborn is a human. They're alive. And they're already protected under the Constitution. They're already protected under laws about murdering humans. So this is still a good thing, but this is a weird article to write in response to the momentum that we've gained. So let, let's look at this. Let's look at this and try and learn a little bit more about uh, wokeness, about uh, how the winsome and nuanced, the third way approach, whatever you want to put it, where it gets you in the end and does not get you closer to God, closer to God's law, even closer to a good and just society. The things that they talk about, that they desire, desire to see justice played out in society, but what they're creating is something unjust, at least by God's standard. We're not going to necessarily read every word of this article, but we're going to, uh, we're going to look at it and you can see already up on screen, I have parts highlighted. We'll blaze through, hit those in a little bit more detail. And so let's jump in. I'll read the, the introduction. So we have the context. Uh, my wife, Leah and I serve as volunteers at a local pregnancy center. Good thing. I serve on the board of directors, and Leah conducts intake counseling with women in crisis. I'm always weary about the term crisis. 
simply because the idea you know, it's the the pro-abortion side that uses the term crisis pregnancy uh and to try and justify well we need abortion uh look at these women in crisis their situation uh but that's not necessarily I think he will use it in a negative way later, but we'll continue on. In these roles, we've had a front row seat to hear the stories of women who are considering abortion. Uh, these seats have cultivated in us a new appreciation for Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as you as we are, yet without sin. This is a weird passage to connect with people who are considering murdering a baby. Maybe he goes somewhere good with it. Let's see his own words. This passage doesn't say Jesus approves of our weakness, overlooks our weakness. Those both true. Jesus does not approve of our weakness. Uh, we are condemned by our uh, sin. Because he doesn't overlook our weakness and sin either. But he continues, or blames us for our weakness. That line is a little strange. What do you mean he doesn't blame us for our weakness? Because if we haven't been saved, we haven't been redeemed by him, then we are dead in our trespasses. We are dead in our weaknesses. We, we have no ability to resist them. We have nothing. We are going to hell. So who is he talking to? Is he talking to believers, non-believers? What is he saying? Continuing, rather, he sympathizes with our weakness. He's going to need to define things. And spoiler alert, he's not going to. In fact, what he's going to provide is counter. But this is one of the things. This is one of the things you'll notice in the the winsome and nuanced approach in the woke approach to things is you start out with something good or mostly good. Then you start to make it vague. If you can make it vague, if you can escape from hard set definitions on things that are clear and precise, you can get people to believe things that they wouldn't normally believe. You also get people to reinterpret naturally in your mind, uh, read through things multiple times, especially things that are like this, that are vague. And you will start to notice that what you're picking up is not the words they're saying, that you're reinterpreting them. If you have a strong, solid biblical worldview, you're reinterpreting, you're filling in the gaps to make it biblically orthodox. But is that what they are saying? We have to look at their own words, not fill in and make it right. But where are they actually going? So let's continue on. Jesus knows 
what it's like to be tempted to fix your circumstances through quick decisions. Again, I'm very curious about what he actually means by that line. What exactly does he mean that Jesus was tempted to fix his circumstance through quick decisions? Uh, he was certainly tempted in different ways. But again, I'm just curious exactly how he's meaning that. Uh, he endured emotional stress from a looming crisis. And here's where we're hitting another woke tactic. Diminish the language. Diminish the language. We're going to see that a lot through this article. He diminishes the language. Looming crisis. Unless he's talking about something else, he's referring to the crucifixion there. Which I wouldn't, I don't know any time I'd ever refer to as a looming crisis. Um, Jesus certainly was under a lot of pressure, stress. He was, was it grieved to the point of death, uh, sweating drops of blood. It was intense as he knew what was going to occur the weight that he was going to take upon him, the pain that he was going to go through, which is so much larger than some sort of looming crisis that minimizes what he's about to do, but also minimizes the fact that he's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about what is both the greatest tragedy in all of history and the greatest triumph in all of history. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. Now why I highlight that and then back to the, the looming crisis one. He's using the term looming crisis because he's already established the term crisis in regards to pregnant women and knows what it's like to be abandoned. Again, going along with, he hasn't really established that yet, but going along with the idea of pregnant woman in crisis, feeling alone, isolated, abandoned. Um, and I feel like he's already starting to connect things in a little bit of a weird way. He's going too direct with some of the connections. And yeah, he'll do that. Uh, Jesus sympathizes with our weakness, and it's crucial to know his sympathy before making a decision that is sinful, destructive, and counter to his purposes. Who are you talking to? We've already ran into this problem once. Who are you talking to? Are you talking to redeemed? Or are you talking to people that know Christ, that have been saved, that are no longer slaves to sin, but now slaves to righteousness? Or are you talking about everyone? And I would argue that he's already established he's talking about everyone. He's not clarified he's talking about Christian women. He's, I think, obviously talking about all people. These are people that do not know Christ, that do not know uh, the sympathy with our weakness that he has. Nor do they know what that means. It's important to know that Jesus was not 
He wasn't simply tempted in all possible temptations. He was tempted in the categories of sin that we might face. He wasn't tempted to he wasn't tempted to murder a baby. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's just it's just weird and it's gonna keep getting weird. But yes, they need to know the sympathy that Christ has, but they need to know a different type of Christ sympathy, and that is what drove him to the cross. The mercy that Christ had on us to die, to rise, to pave the way that defeated sin and death, that we might be reconciled to God. They need to know that. That is what they need to know. And from there, in developing a relationship with Christ, that sympathy will become very important and useful as they progress in the process of sanctification. But I highlighted in red, counter to his purposes. And I highlighted it mainly because of what we, we already talked about. The idea that he's talking to all people yet he's he's already started to slip into this uh this jesus that just loves i'm sorry but if they don't know christ if they don't know the mercy the grace of god if they haven't been preached the gospel repented of their sins and are restored to God, they're already living counter to his purposes. There's no, you can't just tell them, hey, I mean, the, the way he lays this out is, is very much the, hey, uh, Christ has a wonderful plan for your life. You shouldn't make this sinful decision. Th that's not going to stop them. They hate Christ. They hate God. They love their sin. Doesn't mean that an unsaved person will always make exclusively a sinful decision. They can stumble into a right decision. But they do not know the reason for that. Give these people the reason. Give these women the reason. Give them the gospel. Give them Christ. Again, we're just... He's off track. And... That's probably another point. They get off track. After they've kind of pulled you in a little bit, they're going to get it off track. Even on, on more simpler things. Then we get into it. Uh, now that SCOTUS has struck down Roe, access to abortion clinics could require travel across state lines. And visits to local pregnancy centers may increase. I'm just finding, I highlighted that because I just find it a little bit weird. Uh, why is he bringing this up? Uh, but let's just read this, this section because it's a little bit more. Uh, Though the ruling will change how women access abortion, 
it won't change the reality of unplanned pregnancies and Ugh. it won't change the reality of unplanned pregnancies and women who need our help and sympathy like Christ the church must be able to sympathize with the weakness of abortion-minded women if we're going to walk with them towards life-giving decisions. Oh, that paragraph is painful. And again, there are... and Don't just look for correct nuggets. Look at the context and the sentence and the paragraph and whatever it is as a whole because there are individual phrases in there i could agree with but at the at best he's wielding them incorrectly if not just using as say a mormon would use all of the same terminology that a christian would but we know they're talking about something else we have to look at something and understand what is the author's intent what are they communicating it won't change the reality of unplanned pregnancies and women who need our help and sympathy okay there are a lot of circumstances where we can help women we should help people even when they've made mistakes even when they have sinned and that sin is leading to a uh, a, a negative circumstance, a baby is not a negative circumstance. It, we talked about this in, in the last episode on the Dobbs decision and the woke reaction, how they treat it like that. They treat pregnancy like a negative thing, like it's some sort of uh, condition thrust upon a woman, uh, like it's a disease. Uh, they're treating it the same way that the pro-abortion people do. A problem to be solved. Babies are not a problem to be solved. And unfortunately, if you keep using that logic, it will always result in dead babies. The reality of unplanned pregnancy. The reality of unplanned pregnancies is when you have sex, you get pregnant. That's, a, that's biology. <laughs> but... Like Christ, the church must be able to sympathize with the weakness of abortion-minded women if we're going to walk with them towards life-giving decisions. They are not going to walk towards life-giving decisions without Christ. You might be able to get them to temporarily turn away from murdering their baby, but they're not going to walk towards life-giving decisions without Christ. You need to give them Christ. He's removing the most important thing to go after a secondary thing. You are not going to change society's view on abortion by encouraging people to walk towards life-giving decisions. You have to encourage people to society to walk towards the life-giving decision, and that is to repent of your sins and give your life to Christ. The church does not need to learn to sympathize with the weakness of abortion-minded women, we need to be... Well, okay. No, I'll use this language. We do need to sympathize with abortion-minded women. We need to go, I used to be dead in my sins. 
to the point where my mind was so warped that I would justify horrifying sins as well. What you are doing is a sin. It is evil, it is wrong, and you need to give your life to Christ. I don't know of a time when I present it that way specifically to a woman. I'm just saying the details of it, not giving you the exact words to present uh, to someone. But we need to call out sin. We need to call out wrong is wrong, evil is evil. And this is the evil of our day. And it's shameful. Shameful that Christians would try and minimize that. It's shameful that they would try and thrust it, thrust this, this vague uh, sympathy, this, this love everybody type sympathy in front of the gospel and in front of actually protecting babies. It almost treats it like abortion shouldn't be illegal. We should just try and encourage people to make a better decision. But here's the first of his three uh, ways to sympathize. We can sympathize with complicating circumstances. I'm going to say right now, I don't know of a complicating circumstance that we can, quote, sympathize with in the sense that we are sympathetic to their desire to murder. We can respond to complicating circumstances. As Christ died, he pleaded with his father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed for the very people who drove nails in his hands. Amid horrific pain, he recognized that the Roman soldiers, okay, this is where it starts to get kind of weird. <laughs> the Roman soldiers did not act in a vacuum. Okay? They were following commands from superiors, doing a job to provide for their families. I, these factors didn't make the soldiers' actions innocent, but they did draw forth the Savior's sympathy. Um, no, he's not sympathetic. He, he's applying a human type of sympathy to God. He's applying this like this empath empathetic man, I've been there too, buddy. Uh that is not the way Christ is not sympathizing with them and out of his his sad feels saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's being, he is God. These are Roman soldiers carrying out their orders to execute a man. They do not know what they are doing. If you, you think any of them, anyone in the crowd would lift a hand against Jesus if they knew he was God? I'm not saying that the second he's at he, second, you know, he, he would get down, walk away, and then they would go right back to their sin. I'm not saying they wouldn't sin. I'm saying, or they wouldn't even blaspheme Christ if they knew 100% he was God. They're not going to drive a nail into his hand. But it's just weird, the, the sort of sympathy he's trying to drum up. Again, it's this sort of like 
Christ had these like sad feels for them. And he went, oh man, you guys are just trying to provide for your families. I'm glad that Christ's sympathy for us is something higher than that. Something higher than emotion and moments. We need to have a higher sympathy for these women and we need to have a higher sympathy that says, what you're doing is evil. You need Christ. That's the most sympathetic thing we can do for anyone is to give them Christ because we knew, we know what it was like to be dead in our sins and to find Christ and to find life. When Christians support a mother through unplanned pregnancy, you, there are, so one thing I want to get, there are women that have, quote, planned pregnancies that abort them. That because their circumstances change, they decide that no, no, no longer do I want this child. Or they find out some, something about the child and they go, mm, no, I don't want that child anymore. I was really hoping for a, we, you know, we were planning, planning on a boy. We got a girl. We were planning for a, a child and a pregnancy without complications, but there's some complications. Hmm. Hmm. Let's get rid of the baby. We can try again. That's the world we live in. Okay. It's not B. It's another thing. They create a fake reality. They create a fake reality and then argue within that fake reality. Uh, unplanned pregnancy. We must also acknowledge that she's not acting in a vacuum. Again, doesn't matter if you're acting in a vacuum or not. If what you're doing is unequivocally sin, it is going to be sin no matter what. Now, sometimes the circumstance does make something that would be not be sin into sin. And it can create, sometimes create, mitigating circumstances, such as something that would normally be sin. Disobeying the government would normally be sin. If the government is telling you to, I don't know, turn over um, Jews that you have hiding in your house so they can be killed. Yeah, you got to go with God's law. You got to go with the higher law first, rather than obeying the government. So there are, there are mitigating circumstances, but he's trying to drum up sympathy, like this level of compassion towards someone that justifies or does not justify a murder. It's weird. Uh, a mother may not have money to support the child. Doesn't matter. And that's so arbitrary. We are flush with money in this country. Living in her car, the woman is unable to imagine the backseat of her sedan as a baby's nursery. I can guarantee you go ask anyone who was raised in that circumstance if they'd rather be dead. And they will say, no, I'd, I'm glad I'm alive. And I'm glad my mother went through all those difficult things. She may have endured physical abuse, and this is going to be the crux of the article. 
that shows how the, much this guy just does not. He's detached from reality. He's in La La Land. Uh, she may have endured physical abuse from the biological father and fear for the newborn's safety. She is in this. I do not want to say man in this, this. Because a man would never talk this way. In this person's mind. It is there's there's women out there that are thinking about murdering their baby. Because they're afraid for the baby. I better murder it now. So something bad doesn't happen later. I cannot be I cannot believe that this got past an editor. I cannot believe that someone wrote this. That a mitigating circumstance, a circumstance that should get us to sympathize, sympathize in an, an emotional way. In a way that that sort of like lessons are discussed for the fact that someone is considering murder. Is that she might be fearing for, she might be, in her desire to kill the child, she might be putting the child first. That is literally what he says there. I... This is where wokeness gets you. This is where this insane desire to be uh, in the middle, to be the third way. There isn't the right, there isn't the left, there's God's way. I'm sorry, God has spoken. We go the Bible's way. And we don't measure our politics by which side we're not on uh, and that we're not supposed to be on either side. We measure our politics by the Bible. This is also isn't politics. Abortion is not politics. Although legally, it should be illegal. So when we look at our politics, we're going to go, hey, if someone is against it, I'm going to side with them. If someone is for it, I'm not going to side with them. Obviously, there could still be someone that's against abortion that has massive evil that they're trying to push through. And you have to go, no, I'm not going to support that either. It's, it's bizarre. Or she may be a nervous teenager, fearful of disapproval from her parents or the church. Hey, there it goes. There has to be something that casts shade on the church. Somewhere, they always have to include something negative about the church. <laughs> what does any of this do? What 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 does he what does he wrap up this section with? Christians must sympathize with these factors. Ooh, we must. Must sympathize with these factors and consider what tangible support the mother may need, housing, financial assistance, or help navigating the health care system to make life-giving decisions. Only life-giving decision she can make is to give her life to Christ. And then she will know what life is and what it is worth. We should still encourage her, even if she's rebelling against Christ, rebelling against God, in that evil rebellion. We should still encourage her to, if she's not going to keep the baby, to give up the baby to wonderful Christians that go out and adopt these babies. Because it's the Christians that, it is the Christians that are doing those kind of things. It's the Christians that are running the uh, pregnancy centers. It is the 
Christians that are taking that are already doing a great job, and there's constantly more good pushes. There's some bad pushes, but good pushes to do more in that regards. But we can fight the evil at the same time we are dealing with the reality of the evil. By the reality of the evil, I mean the fact that there are going to be people that reject Christ, so we got to do what we can do to save the baby. It's just bizarre. So what's his second second sympathy? And they, the, each section gets a little shorter, so we're going to zoom through. But we can sympathize with weakness despite the associated shame? Curious where he's going to go with this one. Uh, Jesus was a friend of people with shameful stories. That's literally every human that's ever existed. There's this weird thing in the, the woke world of that there's like some people with shameful stories and then kind of imply that there's like people that don't have a shameful story. We're all in rebellion against Christ. We're all filled to the max with shame. Yeah, there are some people that have more dramatic backgrounds, but no one that has truly more shame. He befriends a woman ashamed of her adultery. And what does he tell her? He tells her to sin no more. He condemns sin wherever he goes. He does not befriend these people, sympathize with them, and then say, you're fine where you're at. No. His sympathy involves calling people to repentance. A, a woman plagued with by perpetual bleeding, a physical medical condition, uh, and a woman, or and a man whose appearance drove people away. Uh, he's talking about a leper there. The man's appearance was not driving people away. The man was diseased. Christ healed him. They were still following the uh, Mosaic law, which separated lepers and had a whole process for that uh, because it could be very dangerous. They were not, <laughs> he was not ostracized because of his appearance. It's just bizarre. Uh, crucifixion was a humiliation, uh, was a humiliating form of execution, but Jesus uh, disregarded the shame in doing God's will. There was no shame in doing God's will. That's why Christ was willing to do it. Uh, I think that's more bad wording on his part. I'm going to give him a break there, but that's just bad. Uh, Jesus broke vicious cycles of shame and isolation. Where does that, where does that, where is, where, where, what does that mean? Does it mean in the fact that he broke the power of sin and death? That is a bizarre line. Uh, telling friends and family about pregnancy should be one of the most exciting and memorable moments in a woman's life. But for many women, it's isolating. Mm, well, there's the shame and isolation. Hey, and what do we talk about much further? I told you it would come up about the uh, Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned. He's connecting those two things directly. 
in an overly direct way. Uh, they go to a pregnancy center because of the anonymity it offers. Who is that? He's kind of using this as a blanket for all of them. Uh, some people flaunt it. Uh, shout your abortion. These women don't want to tell people close to them because their pregnancy brings shame. I, I'd have to relook at the statistics, but from what I remember of the statistics, the majority of abortions are not about shame or circumstances that we could construe as shame. They're considering abortion as a way to ensure the story never gets out. Again, he, he's talking about a small subset and then applying it to everybody. But even then, what does that do? What does that do? How does that change the circumstance? Shame never leads to good decisions. Actually, yes, it does. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we mourn over our sin, when we repent of it, when we feel the weight of the shame of the reality, that we are sinners transgressing against a holy God. We are brought to our knees in repentance and the receiving of forgiveness through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So unfortunately, shame does actually lead to the greatest possible decision. There is a I'll give him one credit. There is a right shame and there's a wrong shame. But by showing sympathy, Christians can help mothers express their sense of shame while also encountering the one who bore our shame. I think he might be talking about the gospel, but it's so wishy-washily vague It could be interpreted so many different ways, but put in context of this article, it, I don't think you could interpret it in one of those good ways. And it's also this sort of, by, but by showing sympathy, Christians can help mothers express their shame and sense, sen their sense of shame while also encountering the one who bore our shame. He's expressing this sort of social gospel that if we do these social actions, these social justice actions, uh, that that is, well, that is the gospel to them, uh, not just the preaching of the gospel, but this sort of lighter version is that that is the preaching of the gospel. No, the preaching of the gospel is in words. You have to verbally preach the gospel. Your actions are not a bad thing. Doing good, making right decisions, doing righteous works are not bad, but they are not the gospel. It's confusion of love your neighbor, law, and Christ died for our sins, gospel. Third category, we can sympathize because Christ has shown us sympathy. That statement in and of itself is very true. In fact, the only reason we can sympathize is because Christ has shown us sympathy. But again, that's because 
the sympathy there is that we were dead in our sins. We can sympathize with people who are dead in their sins because that's where we were. Jesus showed us sympathy. And what's the sympathy that Jesus showed us? He died for us. We didn't deserve it. The righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus showed sympathy despite his disciples' imperfections. Uh, I point these out just because I've never heard Peter described as having a temper. So Peter's temper, Thomas' skepticism, James and John's unchecked ambition. Well, I will admit that James and John did have a, an incident with ambition. Uh, they were known as the Sons of Thunder, and they seem to be the ones with the temper. They were the ones that asked Jesus if they could rain fire down on a town. Uh, and I've never, I don't know an instance of Peter expressing temper. I know a lot of instances of Peter expressing uh, hypocrisy, of, you know, fear, fear leading to hypocrisy, of biggest thing, he's the king of putting his foot in his mouth, which is why he's my biggest role model, because if uh, Peter could eventually get things together, then there's still some hope for me in that regards. Uh, but it's just kind of weird. It's weird. Just a little bit weird. Similarly, church leaders must see there are people in our pews who have had an abortion. Have we called them to repent of that? Are considering one? You know what? I'm sure there are probably times when there's someone who's feast in our pews facing a moment of weakness and considering one. Are we making it clear that it's sin? Or we'll consider one in the future. Again, moment of weakness, even David sinned in, in moments of weakness, but I hope we're training people to see that that is not an option and that the best is a moment of fleeting, a temptation that flows into their mind, but they reject. We must speak and walk patiently with the sheep under our care, knowing our high priest Jesus has also shown us sympathy. Again, he's using sympathy is this like fluid term to him. It can mean pretty much anything, anything. Uh, and he, I, They do this. Again, you don't define your term so that you can connect to God and then connect it to how we should do these specific actions without clarifying, defining, defining what God means when he's using it about himself and what you mean when you're using it about another human. Are you talking about the same thing or very different things? Uh, we must speak and walk patiently with the sheep under our care, knowing our high priest, Jesus, has also shown us sympathy. Yes, but a shepherd has a rod in his hand, a crook in his hand, and that is not simply used on the wolf coming into the sheep, uh, the sheepfold. It's gonna discipline the sheep too. It's gonna pull them around when they're trying to wander in a different direction. Uh, shepherding the flock involves a lot more than this like ooey gooey sympathy. 
And when it comes to women in the church, outside of the church that are considering abortion, we can't just sit down and be like, man, I sympathize with you. You know, this ooey gooey sympathy, it's only going to actually push them towards abortion. Even if you pump out this ooey gooey sympathy and then still say that abortion, you know, somewhere in there that it's going to be weakened dramatically, but somewhere that abortion is still wrong, you're going to put out this message of like, man, you know, I don't agree with that, but man, it's your choice, your truth. That's in the end what it's going to display. You have to come at them with truth and you have to, you have to speak the truth in love. He's talking about love devoid of truth, which is unfortunately love devoid of truth is hate because it is not true love. There's one correct way for the church to speak about the evil of abortion. Ooh, there's only one correct way. I'm curious with tears. Wait, wait, we can salvage this with like mourning over the evil of abortion. Is that what he means? Come on, Andy, you got one chance left. We're on the last couple sentences. We want people to know abortion is wrong in God's sight. Yes. Maybe we're pulling this back, but oh no. Oh no, there's a but. But we also want every woman considering an abortion to know that the church is a place where forgiveness and sympathy are found. <sighs> Sorry, but in the church, the church is not a place where forgiveness and sympathy is found. Christ is where forgiveness is found. The church doesn't give that forgiveness. Maybe I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt anymore. He's been so bad with his language. I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Christ is where that forgiveness is found. If we forgive them for what they have not repented of, then what we're doing is hating. We are usurping the authority of Christ to forgive what he hasn't forgiven. We are hating the, the person that we forgive because we're leaving them dead in their sin. Even if they're a believer, we're still, we're leaving them in sin. And sympathy, again, it's ooey-gooey sympathy. It's useless. It's hatred. There's sympathy that we should have. There's sympathy that we can have. Uh, there's sympathy that motivates us, but not this ooey-gooey sympathy. As we identify with what women feel as they consider abortion, why do we need to identify? I'm, we'll have the opportunity to introduce them to our sympathetic savior, who is so weak and pathetic that he can save no one. My God, my Savior, the one that I know, said, go and sin no more. And that was sympathy. My God died for me while I was still a sinner, while I was in rebellion to him, the righteous for the unrighteous. But he did not say, Kyle, you can stay there. 
No, my sin was condemned and I was condemned for it. But he had a mercy on me. And he brought me to repentance. I am glad he had that sympathy. I am glad that he took me out of my sin. Out of the, the evil I was committing. And brought me into his flock, his kingdom, into his family. We'll have an opportunity to introduce them to our sympathetic, sympathetic savior, who is also the Lord and giver of life. Folks, you always have the opportunity. You don't need to create the opportunity to introduce someone to the savior. You don't have to create the opportunity to introduce someone to the real Jesus. You have that every single moment. Whenever you see a person, you have the opportunity to introduce them to Christ, to preach the gospel to them. Whether they are considering abortion, whether they are homosexual, whether they are uh, whatever background you come up with. You always have the opportunity and you don't have to prove to them first by some sort of ooey gooey lovey dovey sympathy action doing something for them you don't have to prove to them that christ is worth it christ has already done more than you'll ever be able to do for them you need to introduce them to that in the end, this is a distraction. Even though he, he talks about there, oh, introduce them to the, the sympathetic savior. He's distracting from the gospel. Now, I would argue he's also preaching a false gospel. I think, again, all these woke people are preaching a false gospel, but this is just sad. This is just pathetic. This is just useless. And again, for, for anyone, I want to make it clear that it's really good that we are, you know, that Christians run pregnancy centers, that Christians help women who have been so lied to that they think that they can have, there's no consequence for having sex. There is no such thing as safe sex. There is no such thing as uh, sex where you can't get pregnant. It's a reality of having sex that it will, re will result in babies. No matter what you do, nothing is perfect at stopping that from happening. In fact, a lot of things we do do can lead to complications in that regard. But it's good that we, we come alongside women who have made a mistake and are looking for, so for, I almost said solutions, but they are looking for solutions. They're looking for evil solutions. And we can present to them a savior that has a good solution. And if they won't listen to that, we can still help them in the goal, with the goal of saving that baby. 
Now we're still in Minister of the Woman. Whole way down. Giving the gospel to her. But this garbage, especially in response, in the in the timing that we're we're at, is horrifying. I just cannot get past that one of the the like circumstances we should be sympathetic for is a woman that wants to murder her baby because she's afraid for the life of the baby. This man is so twisted. You cannot. Yeah, I don't know the man. He could technically be saved. But you cannot be in a a healthy relationship. I'll put it that way. You cannot be in a healthy relationship. It's impossible to be in a healthy relationship with Christ and be that twisted. Guys, we have an opportunity to see abortion ended in this country. And I mean ended, not regulated, but ended. And we're going to talk more about that as well. Because it's important to see, it's in, I think it's a brilliant issue to show how twisted the woke are. So we're going to continue to talk about this uh, more than likely next episode, next week. We'll have another episode on abortion and just the inadequacy of the woke response and contrasting that with a proper biblical response. So look forward to that and fight, fight, fight for these babies. In fact, fight for them first. Yeah, we love the mother too. We have a lot more. She's, uh, she's not under threat of death. The sin being committed against the baby is much higher. Keep it in perspective. And we can care, again, we can care for both at the same time. Oh, that's, bah, another junk about this article. Makes it so much about the woman as in, as in to present the baby as a problem. <sighs> Babies are not problems. But I want to say God bless you all. God bless you all for being discerning Christians that see the errors of wokeness. And if you're not, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us. But people, don't go woke. Don't do it. Trust that God is good, that you don't need something else on top of him. Oh, and I promise I won't always do this, but do things like like, subscribe, share this podcast, uh, because that will help us to grow this ministry. Enemies Within the Church has been a valuable resource, but we really want to see it grow, get in the hands of more and more people. That's why we're doing this podcast. 
Not that we think we're that important, we're that valuable. Our opinions are so great, but we want to be as useful as we can be with the time that we have. So thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Wikipedia Podcast. Remember, don't go woke.